Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down, just believe. Our guest this week grew up in Oak Park, Michigan, and studied journalism and communications at the University of Detroit. At age 16, he started a nine-year career as a rock and roll producer. And for the last 30 plus years, he's been a major TV news director, investigative producer, managing editor, and assignment editor. The author of Enough to be Dangerous, One Agent's Life in TV News and Rock and Roll. His name, Mort Meisner. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. I'm Jack Basula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to Mort Meisner, the author of Enough to be Dangerous, One Agent's Life in TV News and Rock and Roll. An honor to have you. Well, it's my pleasure to be here and uh, honor to be on your great show. Thank you. Can we start by talking about growing up in Oak Park, Michigan, your mom and your dad, what was it like? Uh, it was many days a veritable house of horrors. I mean, you know, I, I, I think back to one of the most memorable low points was John Kennedy was assassinated on uh, uh, Friday, I think, November 22nd in 1963. And Thanksgiving Day was the following week. And we were summarily uh, evicted from our house that morning on Thanksgiving Day. And I I remember my parents, you know, yelling at the bailiff and the bailiff says, I'm just doing my job. And it was a rainy day that day. And while all the neighbors were eating turkey, we were eating beanie weenies out of the can, sitting on lounge chairs in the rain. And I think back and it was surreal, but it was very, very real and was very uh, typical of my family that if we didn't have a boatload of bad luck, we would have had no luck at all. Um, what's the biggest thing you learned from your dad? What's the biggest thing you learned from your mom? Uh, biggest thing I learned from my, my dad is <clears throat> that if you don't manage your anger, uh, if you don't manage your disappointment, you can become very, very uh, bitter uh, and just sort of muddle through life expecting the worst to happen because he did and it did. So I, I, I've tried to learn how not to from my dad and from, uh, you know, from my mom, she just craved being the center of attention. And while I'd like to say I learned some good things from her or my dad, mostly I learned how not to do things, sadly, but true. Okay, at age 16, you get into the rock and roll producer business. Yeah. 16 years old, you're in high school, Oak Park High School. How did you ever do it, Mort? Well, incredibly, there was a guy named Steve Glantz who sadly had committed suicide back in 1995. His father and he owned the Grandy Ballroom in Detroit, the legendary Grandy Ballroom 
which was Detroit's answer to the Fillmore East in New York and Fillmore West in California and San Francisco. I went to school with Steve and I was given the opportunity to work at the Grandy Ballroom Coke Bar, not cocaine, but Coca-Cola Bar. And uh, I started by selling Cokes, then I became a ticket seller. And uh, then I, at oh, a year, year and a half later, uh, when I was a senior in high school and after high school, I, I became uh, the person that ran the company for him. I, I visited uh, New York and L.A. with agents buying talent and coming up with the ideas of who we should try to promote and who we should pass on. In other words, who would make us money and who wouldn't. All right. You met a lot of great ones. Barry Manilow. Loved him. I met Barry in, uh, oh, it must have been 1974 in uh, Cincinnati. He, he was making a whopping $10,000 for the show, which was big money then. Uh, we had sent Barry $5,000 uh, in advance for a deposit to his management. And then I was told to bring cash to his room. I wonder why cash. And uh, had a great chance to meet him. And it started uh, a longtime friendship. And I loved uh, Barry about an hour uh, before he went on. Um, he put the spinners on, Detroit's own spinners. And I said, well, what are you doing that for? He said, I listened to the spinners before every concert for 45 minutes. And I said, why? He said, it keeps me honest. So, and, and he, was, he was a spectacular guy, acknowledging he had a big ego and that he was a diva, but great guy. Kiss. Kiss. Uh, got a call from an agent in New York uh, during a run where we had David Bowie playing at the famous Michigan Palace in Detroit. And I was it was suggested to me I, I go watch them. Kiss was an opening act in a bar called the Embassy in Windsor. I went over to the see them in the company Rolls Royce. They were off stage by 830. They were the opening act. And they begged me to bring him to Detroit to see David Bowie. And because it was sold out, even though it was our venue, I was not allowed to bring them in because Bowie didn't allow free tickets. So if anyone goes down to the Michigan theater, go to the back of the theater, look at the fire escape that's dangling by a thread. Up that fire escape, I walked with Kiss in their full regalia, makeup, heels, and everything else. And they sat on the third level of the um, venue. And a short one month later, we put them on a show with ZZ Top. Weird combination. And they were the opening act. We eventually did their first national tour. And, of course, we did Kiss Alive at Kobo, where I had the privilege of being the MC. Another guy, the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen has such a profound impact on my life. I, I went with Bruce to see, I went with Bruce to see, I went with Bob Seeger to see Bruce Springsteen. Bob and his manager were uh, friends. And it was September 23rd, 1975, which was uh, Bruce's birthday. So I'm in Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor, uh, life-changing, went backstage after the show and we booked them for October 8th a couple weeks later at the Michigan Palace. And that began a long relationship with Bruce that 
still exist today. In fact, in the book, I have a chapter called Bruce Springsteen. He means that much to me and has gotten me through some incredibly awful, difficult times, many of which were made of my own doing. A lot of people more think he's the best entertainer of all time. Why so? Uh, He leaves it all out there on the stage. I've seen him do three-hour shows. I've seen him do four-hour shows. He's a compassionate gazillionaire that really cares about the audience and social issues. And he lived a lot of what he sings about. And I think it makes him uniquely qualified to represent many of us who had it tough growing up. And and he revealed later in life, uh, he revealed later in life that he was, uh, uh, has had a lot of depression during his adult years. And I can relate to that, but I think he and Dylan are the greatest writers of the last 60 years. And I've never seen a show as good, let alone better than Bruce. We're talking to Morton Eisner in 1977. He broke into the broadcast journalism and communications industry. When we come back, we'll find out how did that ever happen. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula. We're with Morton Eisner. 1977, you break into the broadcast journalism and communications industry. How? Phil Nye, uh, who was really my godfather in the TV news industry, taught a semester of broadcast news writing at University of Detroit when I was there. I graduated in 75 and bugged him for several years to hire me. And I, this is a great story. You get arrested if you try to get hired this way. I would show up at his office. I'd walk right into Channel 7, sit outside of his office, and he had a traffic light there. Green, yellow, red. His was always red. You never went into his office. He walked out one day of his office, took his glasses off, and looked at me and said, are you here again? He said, I'll tell you what, if I hire you, Will you leave me the blank alone? You can fill in the blank. I said, yeah. He said, report. This is a Friday. He said, report on Monday at 2 o'clock. You're going to make $102 a week, and there's no flexibility. Can you do it? I said, I'll be here. And I came in as a low-level peon, a production assistant, and Bill Bonds told me early on, kid, you're special. Don't become... Don't learn how to change typewriter typewriter ribbons, um, ink in the copying machine, or anything else menial. I said, well, what do I do when they tell me? And Billy said to me, go take a leap. He said, I said, what if I don't have to go? He said, go anyway. And I learned when to disappear. Thank you, Bill. All right, 1981, you get a job as an assignment manager, managing editor with WBBM. In Chicago, tall cotton. How did that come to be? Yeah, it was. It was um, I, I had been sent by my boss in Detroit to interview for a job at ABC in Chicago. For whatever reason, they didn't want me, so I got chutzpah. I walked over to CBS, which was about a mile away. I asked for a meeting with the news manager, the news director, who later became. 
president of CBS News. He said, kid, I don't have any jobs, but I like you. He says, I like your chutzpah. He was a Jewish guy. He says, go away in an hour and, and come, go away for an hour and come back. I did. I came back in. He said, I've never done this before for anyone but an on-air talent. I'm making a spot for you. He says, can you start in a month? I said, yeah. He said, I said, what's the pay? He said, 35000 And I said, but I'm making thirty six in Detroit. He said, stay in Detroit. I said, no, I'll, I'll take the job. And that started my career in Chicago at CBS. All right. One of the, one of the early people you met was a fellow named Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. He, he worked for you. Yeah. Bill worked at CBS News when I was at CBS. Uh, Bill was and is an incredibly brilliant reporter, was cocky then, as he's cocky now, uh, very confident as he is. But the one thing about Bill back in those days, you never knew where he stood on a story. He played it right down the middle. He was one of America's great reporters. It wasn't until he became totally full of himself at Fox that you saw what his, I, I thought, a lot of his outrageous comments, not outrageous leanings, he's entitled to lean whatever direction. But I'm convinced, knowing Bill, he, he probably believed about half of what he said. But he laughed all the way to the bank. All right, John Bulldog Drummond, legendary. The greatest mob reporter ever. He lived it on camera. He lived it off camera. I would be riding the L home with him. And he'd say, so, amigo, he said, what gin mill are you going to tonight? Um, he would write in his scripts that the suspect resembled a burly mobster from a B-movie circa 1942. If you asked him what the status was on a particular hit job, he'd pull a tattered yellow clip out of his suit coat. He just lived it, and he used to call me the Motor City Madman and um, the greatest mafia reporter I ever worked with anywhere. All right, guys, if you want to learn more, www.mortmeisner.com. Mort, 1984. You hire a lady named Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, incredible. So my team of a guy named Bill Applegate and Dennis Swanson, who later became president of Fox News, we hired this little-known woman from Baltimore where she was a, a news person. We bring her to ABC in Chicago, WLS. We put her on the news as a news anchor. Not very good, not horrible, but not very good. We also gave her a talk show that aired at either 9 or 9.30 in the morning, I forget. And we thought it would be a niche that she would have great appeal to African-American females. And that would be the extent of it, but a very desirable audience. Well, three or four months later, it was clear she had crossover universal appeal, and the rest is history. Incredibly talented, uh, nice woman. And what I'm struck uh, about with her is not only a terrific interviewer, but she was very um, caring and compassionate, not just when it came to her guests, but her workers. 
She treated her workers incredibly, lavishing them with gifts, taking them on European trips, and was always very kind. But I always wonder, I never got a Hanukkah present from her. I never got any present from her. But she it's still early. It's still early. <laughs> yeah. It's still early. Okay. You've interviewed a lot of on-air talent. Yeah. How does one identify that that person has the it factor? Uh, by the way they command a room's attention, whether they're being interviewed or if they're giving a commentary, or in the case of someone like Bill Bonds, and we're in Detroit, and most everyone knows who Bill was, is or was, um, he just took, he had a, a, a command presence and people like him and, and, and people like, uh, Mike Wallace and Morley Safer, um, on, on that front, they just had an incredible presence. But one of the greatest people I ever met on air or off air was the late astronaut and Senator John Glenn who came to my office at ABC one time when he was running for president. And you would have thought I was the guest in his office with the way he and his wife, Annie, treated me. Amazing man, but nothing, but nothing equals my meeting and interviewing Pope John Paul and Mother Teresa, the two greatest people I ever met you knew you were in the presence of future saints. No doubt about it. We're talking to Mort Meisner, who's earned nine Emmy Awards in his yep. career. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rasula with Mort Meisner, the author of Enough to be Dangerous, One Agent's Life in TV News and Rock and Roll. Speaking of dangerous, in 1981, you fell in love with the white powder, and that lasted until October 19th, 1989. Yeah. Chapter in your life, Mort. Very dark. And I, I realize now, growing up, always feeling less than, I was always looking for something now that I realize to uh, dull the pain. And, uh, you know, while I had dabbled in cocaine two or three times only when I was a rock and roll promoter, first time with Rod Stewart and Ron Wood, name dropping, it wasn't until I got to Chicago and my wife at the time was deeply into it but she was able to pull herself out of it. Uh, to me, uh, there was never a sense in going to bed with any leftover because you could buy more tomorrow. And no matter how much you did, as John Lennon said, you wanted more. And it was something I did on and off, mostly on for eight years. And it wasn't until that date in, uh, that you mentioned in 1989, I was having a pain in my arm home alone. I thought, Jesus, I'm having a heart attack, which I wasn't. I go to the hospital and I get admitted in the hospital for observation 
Um, and I realized I had dodged a bullet. And that was the last time I ever used that stuff. I estimate in my mind, I spent three or $400,000 on it over those years. A therapist said, whatever you think you spent, you spent triple. So if that's the case, I probably blew, no pun intended, nearly a million bucks. All right. You had a three-year chapter in the St. Louis market. Talk about those days. Yeah, great city. If you've ever been there, if I didn't live in Detroit, I'd probably live in St. Louis before Chicago. Uh, I worked at NBC there. Uh, a great city, although sadly, very, very segregated. A lot of racism there. Uh, we covered a lot of news. We made a lot of changes. You know, my proudest accomplishment there was forcing Anheuser-Busch to stop allowing their workers to drink unlimited amounts of beer on the job. They were leaving uh, the brewery and getting an accident, sometimes killing people even. But we made, it, we made that market a very aggressive market. But it was also where, boy, this is something else. There are no coincidences in life. As we're doing this interview, I was about to say I met my very best friend of my life there, Jim Epperson. And as I was about to say that, he just emailed me a, a good morning. God works in, in mysterious ways. Okay, Mort. In 1988, you come back to Detroit. How so? You went to WJBK for 10 years. Yeah. God, that job nearly killed me. It took everything out of me. You know, I very arrogantly, like a dumb kid, when I came back here, uh, I proclaimed that we're going to turn this around in a year or two, just like we went from worst to first at ABC in Chicago. I didn't realize how deeply inset the problems were there. There were union problems. We had untalented people. We had ugly people. We had lazy people. I called my friend who was vice president of NBC at the time. And I said, Bill, this is like being on the set of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. These people are horrible looking and they're terrible. So I fired, I had to fire 38 people in 60 days. And Mark Gunther, who was the TV critic at the Free Press, he's in DC now, wrote, there's blood in the water fountains at WJBK. I said, there needs to be. It was hideous. It took four or five years to turn it around. Uh, bringing Huel Perkins from St. Louis to Detroit after I had brought him to St. Louis from Baton Rouge was key. The addition of Rich Fisher was key. I brought Bill Bonds over. He was through. You know, I, I hired him and then I had to fire him, you know, and that was awful. But in, incredible uh, success story. Uh, it took a lot of time. We won tons of awards, but the most important award, viewership, took many, many years. And I'm proud to say that station is still very, very strong. But it was an uphill battle because the owner of the station had created serious union problems by threatening to break the union, which is something not smart to do in Detroit or anywhere. All right. We still listen to Huel Perkins at night, 32 years later. How do you explain his greatness, his staying power? Huel, you know, I always said Murray Feldman, who most people know in Detroit, is the most honorable man I've ever met in TV news. However, 
Huel is right up there. Here's the thing with Huel. He's magnanimous. He's philanthropic. He gives back to the community in his most important job. He's a great father. Uh, he's a wonderful husband. And he's a newsman with a conscience. One of the, And I'm so proud in my book, uh, Enough to be Dangerous, he wrote one of the two forewords in it. And it was very, very touching. And as he says, buckle up. It's going to be a bumpy ride before you read it. I love Huel Perkins. Speaking of a bumpy ride, one constant you've had in this 30-plus years is you've been around a lot of fragile egos. I think you refer to yourself as the zookeeper of egos. Talk about egos. Yeah, for those of us who are over 50, we might remember the lion tamer with the Shrine Circus, uh, Clyde Beatty. I used to call myself Clyde Beatty, the lion tamer. Oh, yeah, may he rest in peace. Joe Glover once threw a chair at me that led to me firing him because he wanted two hours for dinner. I said, you get an hour. Most people don't get any. And he picks up a chair. I said, if you throw it at me, you're out of here. And he threw it at me. So I just stepped aside and I said, you know, get the blank out of here. Um, but then you have men like Huel, whose ego is checked at the door. I mean, Bill Bond's ego was gigantic, but, but the closest thing to justified. Here's the thing. I have this saying, I say it in the book, treat everyone fairly, but not equally. Some people are more equal than others. And when it was the golden goose, like Bill, or, or maybe Diana Lewis, who I love dearly, uh, you cut them a little bit more slack. And the egos everywhere I worked, particularly in Chicago, were just through the roof. Um, let's talk about Bonds in the early 80s at the peak of his career. His 11 p.m. newscast captured 50% of the nude audience, and his commentaries and anchorate have won more Emmys than any other anchor in history in the country. Two stories about Bill Bonds, if you would. Yeah, one incredible story is the night Hubert Humphrey was lingering near death. I was a peon. This was in the late 1970s. Billy comes to my desk and he said, hey, kid, I want you to go stand at the United Press International machine. And if Humphrey buys it during the news, he says, I don't give a damn what time it is. Come down in the studio. Ten bells go off, suggesting a bulletin at 1124. I grab the copy. I run down these stairs, up these stairs, down the other stairs, and I go into the studio and Bill Bond says, Morty Meisner has just walked into the studio. What do you have, kid? And he says, Morty Meisner confirming Hubert Humphrey dead. Bill then tells the stage man, the floor manager, we're running over. Don't wrap me. And he does a seven minute and 42 second obit, obituary. And I say to Bill later that night at the bar, Mr. Joe's, Billy, that was the most incredible ad lib I've ever heard. And he looks at me and says, kid, there are no ad libs, meaning it was just committed to his brain. My other lighter Billy story is uh, how Michigan is known as the melon capital, the Midwest. So my boss made the mistake of having the two melon queens bring cantaloupes to the studio. Bill is anchoring the six o'clock news this day. 
or the five o'clock with John Kelly, who passed away not too long ago. And the women were supposed to bring the cantaloupes out onto the set during a break. Well, instead, they missed it. So Bill invites them onto the set live. And they're in these scantily clad bikinis bursting out of them. And Bill on live TV says, sister, uh, put, put the cantaloupes on the anchor desk and you can put your melons there as well. That was So those are two of the great Bill stories. And I, I could talk for hours about Bill. And he was very, very good to me and taught me a lot. We're talking to Morton Meisner, who's a world-class change agent. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Jack Rasula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. possible. Fifteen of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything is possible. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. And we're talking to Morton Meisner at age 16. He was a rock producer. And then got into the TV news director business. All right, you mentioned in an earlier segment, St. John Paul II. You met him. Yeah. Yeah, 1988, uh, July of 88, right after I moved back. Uh, before I moved back, to take over WJBK, Steve Antonetti, who was the general manager of WJBK, said, I don't trust any of the people in the newsroom to go produce the coverage of, of uh, Archbishop Shaka being elevated to Cardinal. I want you to go. So I go with the late Joe Weaver, the late Joe Glover, and a wonderful crew, and we're covering the festivities and the pomp and circumstance. And on the last day there, we have an audience with the Pope. It's me and Joe Glover. It's Mort Krim from Channel 4 and Guy Gordon from Channel 7. And we're given the opportunity to go in and meet the Pope. But we're told no cameras allowed. And to me, the rules were for everyone else but me. That's who I was. We bring the camera in at, at this point. And I started, I asked Glover to interview John Paul. And he wouldn't do it. He said, well, it's against the rules. I said, I don't give a damn. So I took it over. I interviewed the Pope. And we fed back via satellite this really cool 15-minute interview or 20 minutes that we turned into a one-hour special. But the footnote is, I come out and Mort Krim says, hey, that's BS. Only he said the wrong thing. He said, we weren't, you weren't supposed to do that. 
I want the video. I said, no, there's no pool video. You could have done it, but it wasn't allowed. So he says, what do you expect me to do? I said, draw stick men and you can watch the video on channel two. But if, you know, when I touch the Pope's hand, I still think about it and get chills. I said, your eminence, you know, I'm a Jew. And he says, I have plenty of Jewish friends. In fact, I'm good friends with the rabbi in, uh, in Rome. He was such, I mean, he was saintly and he's a saint. So it made sense. And his most used phrase was, be not afraid, <clears throat> which we badly need today. Okay, speaking of be not afraid, you believe that the best female anchor you ever worked with was Diana Lewis. Yeah, she is. And, and uh, Diana was a, is a wonderful friend. And the reason I think she was the best anchor, female anchor I ever worked with is she connected with the audience, genuinely cared about the community. And Channel 7 in those days was brilliant. They tied her to the children's immunization, immunization fair that was done every year on Belle Isle. And she had this little saying, don't get caught without your shots. And that really helped grow her in the community. She was the perfect partner with Bill Bonds. They fought like cats and dogs for the first five or 10 years, but the last 20 years together, they were inseparable. Nobody cried harder at Bill's funeral other than Diana. Magnificent newsreader, magnificent person, pillar of the community. And I have the privilege of representing her beautifully talented and wonderful daughter, Glenda, who anchors at Channel 7 still today. All right, a man that mentored you, you think the world of, and you think he's the best sportscaster you were ever around, Dave Dials. There's no doubt that without Dave Dials, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. When I was 12, Dave did sports radio in Detroit on WXYZ Radio before there was even sports radio. He had a show called Dial Dave Dials. I'd call in and talk to him and try to stump him and write him letters, and he always responded. Well, one, one day I open up the mail and there's a letter from him inviting me to come to the studio. I go to the studio. I figured, holy crap, I hope he's not going to put me on the air. And he did not. And then I stayed in touch with him for years. And eventually he worked for me at WXYZ. And he threw my going away party. And at the going away party, uh, a day after the going away party, I was at the station cleaning out my stuff. So I'm heading to Chicago. And I said, Dave, let me ask you a question. Why were you so nice to me when I was 12 years old? And you'd meet with me, you'd respond to me. And he says, what the blank is the difference? Why? And he took me by the collar, shoved me up against the wall and said, I did it, didn't I? And you better blank and do it too. I learned from him the importance of nurturing young people and thinking about the future. I offered Dave a job as a news anchor at WJDK for $5 million, a million dollars a year. He was in retirement at the point. He says, you don't want me there because I'd, I'd club every one of those damn baby seals to death. I said, which ones? He says, all those stupid kids that are working for you. And then, of course, we lost Dave eight or nine years ago 
he he's the only guy I ever met that could go toe to toe with Bill Bonds. All right, I quote you now. The LK line of TV news is Murray Feldman. He is. When LK line, uh, the great number six who patrolled right field for the Tigers for more than 20 years, when he argued a call at first base or a called third strike, he was always right because he didn't moan about anything unless he was right. So too was Murray Feldman. When he walked into my office, um, I listened. When many other people walked in, I'd stand up. They'd say, why are you standing up? I'd say, so you can't sit down. Murray Feldman was a mensch, is a mensch. And um, I called him the LK line because he, he only would bring things to my attention when they were legitimate. And I would always hear him out. Fine, fine journalist and great person. Mort Meisner, your new book, Enough to be Dangerous, One Agent's Life in TV News and Rock and Roll is a hit. Thanks for all you've done in Detroit, St. Louis, and Chicago. And keep up the great, great work. Oh, God bless you. What an honor this is. And and Jack, I, you know, we've just met fairly recently. What a gentleman you are and wonderful show. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Krasula. Thanks for listening and make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spawn. Believe-